I wanted to start off with a topic where I didn't even make my source sheets um, because it just popped into my head as a really important topic just during my marriage at the Kaiso. And it's about, at least for men, it's, it's, it comes up very often. I think it also is relevant to you guys. And that is a makom kavua, having a set pray, place to pray. So is it a thing, is it a good thing, I'm asking you guys, to have a set place for davening? Survey yeah. says? Yeah. Yes. Very yeah. good. Okay, excellent. You're right. You got that. Anybody know for bonus points? Where we learn that it's a good thing to from have Abraham. a makom tefillah. From Abraham. From Abraham, very good. You, we're doing, you just know that? Or there's a class that you guys talked about that at some point? Just now? Awesome. So where in Abraham? This is, this is a good trivia question. When in Abraham's life do we see that he davens in the same place, in the same makom? When he davens for Sedona. Excellent. Very good. So actually last week's Parsha. Okay, so what happens? Avram prays for Sodom. He wants to save them. Does he succeed in saving Sodom in the end? No. No, he does not. He does not. Then, at that point, after the whole story with Sodom, when Sodom is destroyed, it says in the Pasuk, I'm going to try to find the place. And Avram went back to the place where he had just prayed to God. Okay, he just prayed to God, and he goes to the exact same spot. From right here, the Gemara and Brachas learns out, Davchet, that you should have a makom for tefillah, a set place for davening. Okay? You should have one spot, and that's your spot, ideally. Okay, you got it from Avram. Yeah? So, first of all, I just have to note, this is really cool. Nevin Sol has an article about this, and he points out that, why of all places do we learn it out from Avram when he... Praise that God says no to his prayer. Like what's, what's that all about? So if Nemzel suggests, when we say to have a set place for davening, we don't just mean a physical place, like this is my corner. We mean, even though God said, so to speak, no, I'm not saving stone, he still went back to the same place physically and also emotionally, the place of Amuna, and he still continued to daven to Hashem. Right? God just said no to his prayer, and he went back and he davened again. Okay? So the Gemara, perhaps, is not just saying you need a physical place to daven, but even when sometimes Hashem says no, we still go back with the Muna and we keep davening. You guys get the idea? It's a nice idea, right? Okay. In any case, so there is an idea, a halakha, you should have a set place for davening. It's good to have a set shul if you can. And it's good to have a physical place so if you're not going to shul. So this is my place in the base. This is my place in the room. This is my place in the field. Whatever it is as much as possible to try to have a set place for Dhabi. Okay? And the Rambam mentions that this is one of the eight um, suggestions of things that you should do that are good ideas to help a person daven better and to have his feeling be more accepted by a Kharashbarko, you're considered humble. It's a very good thing. Okay? So far I don't think I've surprised you so much, just reiterating the idea of having the Makum Tfila. Now here what here's the following scenario. What if you're in your makom? Let's say you have a place in the base, and every shakras you dive in on that place, and then one day someone comes into your seat and sits down and starts davening in that exact same makom. So what should a person do in that scenario? What do you all think? Have a 
Ask them to move. No, you can disturb Xander. Okay, so one option is ask them to move because you want to have your muckum feel it. Very good. But you can't disturb someone. Oh, well, on the other hand, you might disturb their davening. Plus, what else might happening if you ask them to move? Humiliate You might humiliate them. You might make them not feel so nice and welcome. Right. So you have you have a little bit of a uh, dilemma, halachic dilemma, seemingly. So what do we do? So it's like this. And I wish more people knew this halacha because I sometimes go into shuls and people say, you're in my seat and I, I want to like give them a whole mustache moves about how but they think I'm just like a 18-year-old kid and they just kick me out. <laughs> but, maybe they'll listen to this here. I don't know. The point is like this. You shouldn't ask the guy to move and I'll tell you why. First of all, because this halacha doesn't refer specifically to one place. It means within your four amos. Very often in halacha, we find that the general area is called the four amas or six to eight feet. That's your makum tila. So even if he's sitting right here, if you go here, that's okay. Right? It's still considered the makum tila. In fact, it happens to me almost every, I pray at the kotel most of the time, and I'm in a place, and then you know how it is, like you leave for a second and then somebody takes your spot. It's okay. You just let them keep the and you keep going. That's, so first of all, it's still being makayim makum tila, but in your six feet radius. Okay. Uh, secondly, um, why else don't you have to ask him? So Zilberstein, the big rabbi, he says, this is a mitzvah in the Torah to love the gear, to love the outsider. Okay? And this doesn't only refer to someone who literally converts to the Jewish people, but it also refers to an out, someone who feels like he's on the outside. Someone who comes to your shul and he doesn't have a place to sit. So if I kick him out, that's not loving the gear, that's not making him feel welcome. So by letting him sit in your place, you're being mekayim that mitzvah of loving the outsider, and that is more important, in in my opinion, and in other posts' opinion, than being in your exact spot with the best possible prayer energy. Everybody good good with that? So bet you didn't know. You don't have to kick him out. Okay. I'll also uh, point out the same probably in the base measures of learning. Nice to have a makom for learning also. But if someone sits in your seat accidentally, whatever they didn't know. Just let it be, because that's what a nice person does. Yeah, makes sense. I also personally felt very connected to this topic because um, I see it in life as it comes up a lot, and not everyone's so sensitive to this, that I'll give you a, a sad story. So, you know, I, uh, I play football and Ultimate Frisbee a lot, and today I went to a, a football game, um, and um, I went all the way there, and I saw I was like the last man out. Like they, you know, I was like a minute late, and they had all, you know... Whatever they, all, they I didn't want to, you know, everyone's matched up, and they kind of saw me, but they didn't want me to like take someone's spot, so they just kind of like let me wait on the side for a while. And I'm just like, I don't want to really want to get into an argument, so I, I left and I, I jogged. It, it was okay, but I felt like that was like the opposite of what the Torah personality is supposed to be about. It's about like looking around, there's an outsider, or someone who needs to be included, you know. So I think the Jewish people need chizuk in this, and it's not a hashkafa shir. But maybe that's also connected to the Parsha and Hagar, who's an outsider, who gets kicked out. And the Ramban says the whole reason we had to go down to Egypt was to somehow learn to be empathetic and to fix the sin of Avram, Sarah, and Hagar. So again, I don't, it's all of us here, I don't want to focus too much on that. But it could be that our whole essence, the whole reason we went down there at the time was to learn to love the, the stranger, the outsider. It's not just another mitzvah, but it's like our core personality trait is looking at those who are on the outside and trying to include them, trying to make them feel welcome. So you don't have to kick someone out of their mom. Sounds good? Everybody cool with that? Yeah.
right, that was a long yalla. Let's do, uh, let's, let's, let's uh, do some other fun topics. Yeah, question. Can we turn the air on? I love, I always want the air on. Women and Tefila tonight, so we're gonna keep on pushing. Okay, last time we talked about Amidah, and to summarize, who remembers? Uh, at the end of the day, do women have to dive in Amidah every yeah. day? Good, and ideally, at least once a day. Okay. And the more the merrier. What? Let's go back. Uh, we talked about Birchat Shachar last time. The next thing after Birchat Shachar is Korbanah. I know you took Zimmer, but actually, there's a thing, there's that whole middle section in the center that everyone skips, Korbanos. Do you have to say Korbanos? Is that a lot of the No. Yeah. So the answer, so it's a tricky one. The answer is no. You technically are not high, not obligated to say Korbanos, just like a man is not obligated to say Korbanos, because this is a minha. It's a custom to do Korbanos, and you don't have to do it. It's a nice thing to do. However, even though you don't have to, it's a good thing to do. It's a nice thing. It's a mitzvah. Why is it a mitzvah? Why is it a nice thing to do? So there is a Gemara, and the Gemara talks about how Avram talks to Hashem and says, what's going to atone for the Jewish people when they sin? And God says, korbanos. So Avram Avinu says, wait a second. What about when there's no korbanos anymore? What do we do then? How are we going to get our sins atoned? And he says, God says, when you say the korbanos, it's like you brought the korbanos. When you learn about the korbanos, not just mumbling it, but when you actually under, you know, try to connect to the idea of korbanos, you're, your mouth is instead of the animals, and it counts like you brought the korbanos. So it's a very holy thing, and your shechter and many other rabbis encourage men and women to say korbanos, like the korban tamid, that the tamid is the one that's the most popular to say. So again, you don't have to say korbanos, but it's a nice thing to do if you have some extra time. Yeah. Okay, if it's, let's say, like your family minhag, but not your rabbi's minhag, do you still have to do the family minhag? Ooh, that's a toughie. I would say it's probably best to do your family's minhag unless you have a reason not to. Okay. Yeah, you, you first go with your family. You don't, we don't just switch minhag him too, too easily. If you don't like your family's minhag, marry someone who has different minhag. That's the move. That's it. Yeah, there we go. Or there are particular situations you can change your minog, but in general we try not to change minog. Okay, korbanas, that was easy. What about pisuke de zimra? So you have to do right? So it's a little tricky. And I'm glad if you don't know because then it feels like I'm useful. Eh? Okay. That is the minimum for sure. But is a woman in the first place obligated? to say Pesukah de Zimra. So the answer is like this, Machlokas, like everything else in Judaism. Um, the Mishnabura, remember last week we talked about how the Mishnabura was strict and said a woman should dive in at least two times a day? Yeah. So Mishnabura is also strict about this one. And he said that since it's like, uh, it's like part of Tefillah, 
Ideally, she should also say, Psuke de Zimra, other rabbis like the Kafa Chayim, the Sephardi Posek, also said that women should ideally say, Psuke de Zimra. However, the good news is, most Poskim disagree and um, say that it's a good thing to do, it's a wonderful thing to do, but she's not obligated to say Psuke de Zimra. So that's how, at least the Pini Alacha, uh, who's my Posek, Poskim, that a woman is not obligated to do Psuke de Zimra. But it's a good thing to do. It's a mitzvah and very nice. And if she wants to say it, she should say it with God's name, at least according to um, Ashkenazim. I'm not so sure about Sephardim with, uh, with a bracha beforehand. But it's a nice thing to do, but you don't have to do it. Yeah, question. Okay. Um, is the, um, why is he like, like make, being like adding more stuff if we're not obligated to it? Like, if, since he says, yeah, it's the Chavetz right? Why, why would the Chavetz in the first place think there's an obligation here? Yeah. So he says that we know that women are obligated to pray. It says that in the Gemara. So therefore, they're obligated to daven Avidah. And Suki de Zimra is, the whole point is to prepare you for tefillah, for prayer. It's like a package deal. It comes together with Amidah. And therefore, just like you're obligated to pray, you're obligated to Suki de Zimra. Whereas others say, no, no, it's two separate matters. There's Amidah, and there's Suki de Zimra, which is connected, but they're not, they're not, they don't have to go, to go together in a package. And since it's time bound, uh, they are exempt from Amida. Okay, also, I forgot what's, what's that what technically is Zimra. So anything from Baruch Shemar until Yishtabach is called verses of song, okay? And that correctly is generally Baruch Shemar is the beginning, Yishtabach is the closer, and then everything in between is part of those songs, and the minimum is to say Ashre. Okay, if you just need one. So you need to say at least one song, and then you say the Halukas. I'm not going to go into the whole order. You can look it up, but basically that's what Pesukim de Zimra is. Isn't five and three the little more? Yeah, correct. But uh, just time is short, so I'm not going to go through all the little details of that. You can look that up. I will point out some interesting things that some people don't know about Pesukim de Zimra. Okay. First of all, I kind of alluded to it, but Pesukim de Zimra is meant to prepare us for davening, and therefore it's ideal if we sing it. Zimr, the Zamer. Right? That's, that's what it's really supposed to be about. The zamer literally means to prune. Like pruning a tree is, is more. So you're pruning away your negative thoughts by singing and, and chanting the, the, these beautiful prayers. And if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe have any of you all been to a Karlbach davening on a Kabbalah Shabbat? Yeah. yeah. And don't you feel a little bit more connected to your Amidah when you sing and you've had a few minutes to prepare yourself? Mm-hmm. So that was the idea, says Rashi in the Fitarach of Brachos, behind Sukkot Zimra, you're supposed to sing and then get into the mood of davening so that when you get into your Amidah, you're in a better place. True, most people don't sing, and I think it's silly, in Chaval, and we should sing, but uh, instead of mumbling it really fast. But ideally, at least saying these holy words are supposed to get us to, into a place where we're in a better state of mind by the time we get to our Amidah. Yeah? It's just random, I feel like that's the Kala. Like, it's much more pleasant to say because you're singing it. Exactly. So, when you sing it, it's nice. The similarly, especially you're not cons- you know, men. Unfortunately, we have to get a minion, and if they don't sing, it's like you have to just catch up with the minion. So it's very hard to sing, and unless you happen to go to a singing minion, but usually you don't, unless you have a minion. That's why so on Shabbos mornings. Anyway, so good to sing. But there's one particular um, thing, prayer, which the Shulchan Aruch actually says it should be sung with a song. With a chant. Anybody, anybody aware of this one? Is it? 
not so well known, but it's a real halacha in the Shulchan Aruch, where the Shulchan Aruch of Yosef Kara himself says, this one you should definitely sing. Sorry? No, in Aziz Yisir. Good guess. That's the Mishnah Brewer says you should sing that one, not the Shulchan Aruch, so we'll get to that in a second. And that's in our next topic. Actually, no. Interestingly enough, he doesn't say Ashrei, and now he doesn't say Shabbat. He doesn't say Rosh Hashanah. He should sing. You know what he says? Mizmor. There we go. You, you, had, you know. Excellent. Excellent. Amazing. Okay, so Mizmor Toda is the one that uh, ideally you should sing. Says the Shulchan Looking for it here, but it's it's in here. I think it's fifty uh, ninth chapter. And the question is why? Because there, there's a midrash that says in the end of days when Mashiach comes, they're only going to say Mizmor Toda. Perhaps what that means is it's all going to be about gratitude. Everything's going to be so good. We're not going to need to ask God for stuff. We're just going to be thanking Him. And Mizmor Toda is about thanking God. So there's a special idea to sing Mizmor Toda or to chant it. And the other um, song mentioned is Az Yashir. Right? Az Yashir is the song of the, at the sea. And the Mishnah Brewer writes that if a person imagines like he's at the sea and says this in a ch- 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 chance type of way, his sins are atoned in some sort of way. It's like his soul has gone back into the bathing, you know, purifying waters of, of the Yam Suf. So also nice. I think a lot of Sephardi congregations sing the whole thing. So if you can sing it, or at least sing it a little bit, then that's a good thing. Sometimes I sing uh, There Can Be Miracles, you know, that, that, that tune to Az Yashir. It's good. It's my shtick. You can use it if you want. All right. Uh, so that's uh, about singing in Suke de Zimra. Definitely a good thing to do. Okay, what about uh, Shema? Are women obligated to say Shema? It's a tricky question. The answer is no. 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 They're not. It's, it's time bound. And this is explicit in the Mishnah in Brachos that women are patur, exempt from saying Shema. But why did he say it? Nonetheless, the custom, this very, very beautiful custom of most good Jewish women is to say Shema. And I'm going to go through now five mitzvahs that you can get by saying Shema. And that, for that reason, women do generally say Shema. What? what? Excellent. Okay, so start with that one. There is a mitzvah every day to remember how God took the Jewish people out of Egypt. It symbolizes the fact that he has a relationship with us. He's not the type of God that just creates us. Egypt symbolizes his loving relationship with us. And the Gemara Bracha says we have to remember this every day and every night. So technically, it's night and day. It's not really time-bound, and women are exempt. But nonetheless, they fulfill the mitzvah uh, of remembering God taking us out of Egypt when they say the third paragraph of the Shema and, uh, and how God took us out of Egypt. Okay, good. The other time, by the way, if you di- didn't... You zoned out or you didn't say the Shema. Also in the Birchos Kriya Shema, after Shema, we talk about how God took us out of Egypt. So you can also fulfill the mitzvah there uh, if you didn't say the Shema. So that's good. That's mitzvah number one, Yitziat Mitzrayim. What other mitzvahs do we accomplish by saying Shema? Sitzit. Um, interesting. According to the simple reading of the Torah, you would be right that a Jew would be obligated, or at least a man would be obligated to see tzitzit and remember them, but there's no such command. You don't have to, uh, especially a woman, would not have to uh, mention 
Tzitis, although it's a good thing for a guy do, to do. What else? What else is uh, what else do we fulfill by looking through Shema? They're tough questions. I don't expect you to know the answer. Okay, so the mitzvah called Kabbalat Olam Chutzmaim, accepting the yoke of heaven upon yourself. And we do that, and we say, When you do that, you're basically saying that there is one God, I accept him as my king. And so, um, Poskim write that it's, therefore, we should encourage women to say at least the first Pasuk of Shema, because they take upon themselves the yoke of God's kingdom. Okay? Sounds good? What else? There's a mitzvah of loving Hashem. The Sefer Acharidim brings down that if we feel a bit of love of God, when we say those words, you actually fulfill the mitzvah of loving God. Okay? You can fulfill it in other ways, but will you fulfill it if you don't say the Shema? I don't know. Most of us will probably forget. Another way you could actually fulfill the mitzvah according to some posting is by singing. When you sing a song to Hashem, like you sing, you're loving Hashem. So that's also a nice way to fulfill that mitzvah, but... The easiest way for me, at least, is to feel a little bit of love of God in my heart. And one more, it's a rabbinical mitzvah, but it's still a mitzvah, is we're supposed to connect geula letfila. We're supposed to connect God's redeeming us from Egypt and praying. Okay, so the easiest way to do that is if you say, and then you go immediately into Amidah, you fulfill that mitzvah of connecting geula letfila. And if you... Uh, and if you skip it, because you didn't say Shema, so you miss out on that. So again, you don't have to do any of these things, but they're wonderful opportunities to do mitzvahs and connect to Hashem, which is like why we're here in the world. So definitely super duper encouraged to say Shema. Yeah? Sounds good? Okay. Let's find out where I'm at in my little source sheet. If anybody's ever curious about this stuff, I'm very happy to send you uh, the source sheet, but I just feel bad for the printer. And I don't think it's necessary to print this sheet, so I just keep it to myself. Sukkah de Zimra, Shema, and... Okay. I think we mentioned this before. Um, but I'll mention it again anyway. Shema at night. Shema uh, before you go to bed. Women, what's the deal? Do women have to do that? Should women do that? What's, what do you guys think? Good thing to do. Very good thing to do for two reasons. One, it's a protection. So many boys can write, write, write now, just like a man needs a protection, a woman needs a protection. So that's one advantage. The other advantage is that um, not all women dive in Marv. And if you didn't dive in Marv, then you didn't say Shema, at least the full Shema. So by saying it before you go to bed, you say Shema in the day and at night. Again, you don't have to do that. But Wait, if you say Marv, are you still supposed to say... If you say Marv, you still say Shema. The only difference might be that a woman would be encouraged to say all three paragraphs of the Shema if she didn't say it at Marv. She doesn't have to. Encouraged. Okay, if she already said it in Marv, there's less of a reason for her to say all three paragraphs because she already fulfilled her myth by remembering Egypt when she went to bed. When, uh, at night, I'm sorry. But anyway, it's always a nice thing to say as much as you want. Like Shema, I actually learned this. My wife says all three paragraphs of Shema, and I only say the first paragraph. And I realize she's from within me. So sometimes I say all three just to feel like not bad about myself. You know? Anyways, yeah. What about um, saying, like, a general woman, that paragraph of Shema, like, so uh, everything in the sitter is good. Some, some of it's ancient, some of it's mentioned even the Gemara, Vahinom, and, and whatnot. None of it you have to say. Okay? 
They're all nice. If you have a koach and you want to get another mitzvah, do it. But if it's too much, you don't have to. The only thing you have to do is hamapil, as we mentioned earlier, and the first paragraph of Shema. Okay? Um, hamapil, if you're svaradi and you go to bed before midnight, you don't say with God's name for Kabbalistic reasons. Ashkenazim always say hamapil with God's name. I think we talked about this before, but there's a whole thing. This is a halachic uh, myth, or did you know? It's not exactly a myth. Like most of these things, it's rooted, but it's not 100% true. People are afraid to say amapio because then if you talk, you're like sitting, right? Yeah. So there is an opinion like that. It's not is made that up. True? It's not made up. It's not made up. The reason is that one opinion holds that amapio is connected to sleep, and you don't want to you don't want to interrupt between like you know say brachi you want to eat say brachi you want to go immediately to sleep. So there's an opinion like that. But the main opinion is that Hamapil is a bracha of Shevach, of praising Hashem. You can talk, so you can talk, and if you accidentally talk, it's not such a big deal. Or one day when you're married and your husband wants to talk, you whatever, you, or your roommate, I don't know. Wait, you don't it, have to be a snobby. Like, isn't that you're not supposed to talk, but if you do, it's not... Ideally, you would go like all the opinions, fulfill all the opinions, and not talk. But if, for whatever reason, something happens, you're hungry, thirsty, someone talks to you, whatever... You could definitely rely upon the opinions of, of the of the post and say that it's a brach of shabbat and it's okay if you spoke in between. Clear? Anyone anything is ever not clear, don't be shy. Beautiful. Okay? So we got through most of women and davening. Okay. After Amidah, there's all that extra stuff. Tachano Alenu, and Shir Shalyon. Do women have to say all that stuff? No. No. Okay. Why not? Because it goes like this, men also technically did not have to say that stuff. It was optional. However, the minhag became that men took upon themselves to say all that stuff. Tachanu and Ashrei, and each one has good reasons why it's wonderful things to do, but women never took the minhag upon themselves, and therefore uh, you don't have to say all that extra stuff. However, if you have the time, and you have the koach, why not? Wonderful stuff to do. Each one has uh, an advantage. Tachanan, the Gemara mentioned, is an extremely powerful davening. It's like the part two of the Amidah. Everything I didn't have a chance to say. Get it in there. Uh, Ashray, the Gemara says, say it three times a day. You're living in Olam Haba existence. Say after beautiful day, Mavalatyon has words of Torah in it, words of Navim. Shir Shal Yom, you get a mitzvah that writes about of remembering Shabbos when you say, Hey, Yom Yom Ravi Shal Shabbos. Alenu is written by Yeshua. It's a super powerful prayer. So everything is awesome, and if it's an even feel class, we would go in depth, but nothing is obligatory for women folk. Sounds good? All right, amazing. All right, a few more uh, to squeeze in there for today. We're talking about davening and base knesses. Let me just switch source sheets. Okay, this is a fun one I wanted to mention. Um, standing up when the Aron is open. Yeah? So do you have to stand up when the Aron is open in shul. What do you guys think? You should. You should. And the answer is, you're right. You should. But let me explain a little bit the background behind this. You should, but there's certain situations when you don't have to. And that's why it's important to understand the background. So, what's the deal? The, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, it's in Reish Mem Bed 242, um, one second. 
Okay, the Shulchan Aruch writes that when the Sefer Torah is moving, a person is obligated to stand up. Okay, when it's moving. And the Ramah says, even if you can hear it, you really should stand up out of respect for the Sefer Torah. Okay? This is based on the Rambam, who writes this, and it's based on the Gemara in Kiddushin. The Gemara in Kiddushin learns it out like this. We know that you have to stand for a Talmud Chacham. Okay? Where did we learn that from? That you have to stand for a wise person or an elderly person? It's a, it's a passage in the Torah. You should respect a wise person, an elderly person, or a Talmud Chacham. So the Gemara says, if you have to stand for a wise person, certainly you also have to stand for a Torah scroll. The reason we respect the wise person is because he learns Torah. So all the more so, we should stand up when we uh, when when there's a Torah scroll uh, that's moving, okay. So far, that's that's a real halacha. What about when it's not moving? It's just in the arum. It's not moving. So the Taz, who is a uh, commentator on the Shulchan Aruch, writes: Technically, you don't have to stand up because it's stagnant. It's not moving. It's in its makom, so you don't have to stand. However, the Taz writes: Nonetheless. The minog is to stand up. Why? It's out of respect. Okay. So, technically you don't have to do it, based on the shofanach, but nonetheless, the minog is to do it. Okay? Wait, is it like, like, if you're saying a shul, and you're like near the arm, you have to stand up? Or like it has to be... No, if it's open. If it's open. If you, you know, when you open up the the shani, okay, for all the... So then, the... You don't have to technically, but the minog gets to stand. Let's say it's just open on like a regular day. Would it be open on a regular day? Or? Yeah. Mondays and Thursdays, you open it up and you read the Sefer Torah, you're supposed to stand up. The minog gets to stand up, even though technically you don't have to do it. Okay? Um, yeah, question then. Are we supposed to stand up when someone says Kaddish? That's an excellent question. And, okay. For Adim, their custom is not to stand up. Okay, so no for Sephardim. Ashkenazim's custom is to stand up. So yes, for Ashkenazim. Now what's uh, Kaddish? Should we stand when saying Kaddish? So now it's funny that you asked me this. Just yesterday, I have a chavrusha with my rabbi every morning. And we're learning Hilchah Sukkah. And we're talking about going against the custom of the place. So I asked him, I usually dive at the Kotel and the Sephardim in. I'm part of this neat Sephardim crew. Should I stand up because I'm Ashkenazi, or should I not stand up because it looks bad and you're not supposed to go against the custom of the place? Lotis go to do. So I was asking, should I stand up or should I maybe sit down and go like the custom of Sfaradim? You understand the question? I didn't want to stick out. So he said that he thinks it's, it's fine to stand up because nowadays everyone understands that different people are in different congregations. You know, Israel is a big mixture of Ashkenazim, Sephardim, Iraq. Used to be, you would go to a town and everybody was doing this for hundreds of years and you're going to get up and do against the custom. It's like uh, disrespectful. But nowadays, everyone understands that we're a big jumble of everything. Therefore, uh, as an Ashkenazi, he encourages me to stand up. And if you're a Sephardi, you can sit. And if you want to stand, you can stand. It certainly doesn't hurt. Okay? And each... Okay. Um, anyway, just going back to the Sefer Torah situation, um, the Aruch HaShulchan writes that since the Minog is to, to stand up, 
it would be disrespectful now to not stand up and be like, oh, we learned in a common shear that you technically have to stand up and everyone's going to think you're show off and like disrespectful. So therefore, you should stand up, right? It's the Arach HaShokhan, a modern-ish poisek. However, knowing this information is, is, is important because under certain circumstances, we don't require a person to stand up. Okay, so let's go through. One is, the person is old or sick, since technically he doesn't have to stand up when the arun is going is open, um, and it's hard for him, and no one's going to think it's disrespectful. They'll understand he's tired, he, right? He's more elderly, so he would not have to stand up. He wouldn't have any pressure upon him to stand up in that situation. Or, for example, it's Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and the arun's open, and you've been standing all day, and you're really, really tired. There too, one would not be obligated to stand up. If he makes the effort, good for you, but you don't have to stand up uh, when the arm is open in that situation. Um, cool? Make sense? Clear clear with that? Okay, I thought that was an interesting, uh, just clearing up what's halacha and what's not exactly halacha. A few more of these. Oh, and oh, and one more situation I forgot to say. Simchas Torah. Right? You have, if you've been in the Simcha Torah and the, the Sefer Torahs are moving all around the base medrash, do you have to stand up the entire time or can a person sit down? The Sefer Torahs are moving, right? So there too, it's, it's understood that the, the point of the decree would not be that all day, you know, Tamidi Chacham have to stand up if they're 80 years old. It's unrealistic. So there too is an exception to the situation. It's not disrespectful and they can sit uh, even if the Sefer Torah is moving. Or I would say at the Kotel. In similar situations, there's constantly the Sefer Torah is moving back and forth on Mondays and Thursdays. They work as a mitzvah guide sometimes. It's like crazy. And uh, there too, you could technically, if you're learning with your Yechavrutza, you don't have to stand up. I, I think. I think that, that's reasonable because no one would think you're disrespecting. Okay? Good. Um, I want I want to get to Hilchos Mezuzah. I'm not sure if we're going to get there today because that is the next topic in the, in the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. After davening, um, two more, but two more daven, two more um, tefillah-related matters. Um, walking into a shul, are you allowed to walk into a shul or a base medrash if it's a not uh, Torah davening-related matter? Survey says, what do you guys say? Yeah, no, you're, you're not, not supposed to. to right? You probably knew that. You're no, not supposed like, to. So you're not supposed to because the, the, the Gemara says that it's like the base Mikdash and it's disrespectful and it's a place of holiness and tefillah and Torah and you shouldn't uh, do that. So what's the trick that a lot of people do? You go in there and you say a Pasuk and then since you went in there and you said a Pasuk then you can call your friend or then you can go and get your, your thing. Yeah. So technically that works. However, many rabbis say that if you literally just walk in and say one Pasuk and then you know, do whatever you got to do, plug your phone in or whatever, it still looks like you're using it as a shortcut. So therefore, what my rabbi suggests, and others also suggest, is sit down for a second, learn, open up a sefer, don't make it just look like you're, you're, you're using the halacha to, to do what you want to do. do. Do something to show that you're actually dominating or learning or something in the base method, and then call your friend. Uh, yeah. But we have to come into here. Right. So this whole area would be considered part of the base medrash. Oh, yeah? So I'm pretty sure. At least... Because Rabbi Tom said, just say, puzzle, no. Interesting. 
when I had this issue uh, at Araita, which is very similar, you have a classroom right next to the base medrash, I asked uh, a rabbi, and that was what I was told, that the whole no area hallway? is considered one big base medrash. Like classrooms one, two, and three, I wouldn't say that at all. Maybe four even, because there's two entrances you can go through. Right, but five, there's no way of getting here. There's no way of getting here without walking to the base medrash, so it's hard to imagine that they didn't just have it, you know, with that kavana. You can ask. You can ask. You can ask your vita, and maybe this is also considered base medrash. So it's all. I, I assume it doesn't hurt to say a pasuk, you know. And so you know, you don't lose anything. But uh, but yeah, if you're, you, in the army, um, the way it works is that the religious units daven, and everyone else has to clean up all the cigarettes around the base. So you would see that like suddenly these people who never daven get so frum, and they're there the whole shachers on their phones. It's amazing. And there also happen to be chargers in the basement in the base of the army, and everyone, there's very few places to charge your phones. So people are constantly coming into the base matters and like charging their phones and hanging out for shockers. So I would sometimes say, okay, say a pasuk, you know, dive and do something. Don't just use the, it, it as a, and not just a pasuk on the go, but like uh, you know, actually learn something. Okay. Another halacha that a lot of people don't know, but I think is a great one, is that there is a mitzvah. Not an obligation, but a mitzvah, la roots le bet knesset, to run to shul. You guys know this? Yeah. yeah. It's a fun one. So you don't have to sprint. What it means is the last few steps when you're going to shul, just you know, go a little fast. Yeah, it's a lach in the shokhanah. It's a lach in the shokhanah. Halacha that it's a mitzvah. It's a brought down in the shokhanah that this is a good thing to do, not that if you don't do this, you're a bad Jew. Yeah? It's like a nice thing to do. Um, so why do I want to tell you? Isn't it very interesting? The Shulchan Aruch writes that in general, we're not up to Hilchah Shabbos, but I'm just going on a tangent. In general, uh, you're not supposed to run on Shabbos. Okay? The Shabbos is chill, benachas, you're supposed to put yourself, you know, in a nice mood. There might be an exception if you're like me and you like really, really like jumping up and down and moving, so maybe there might be an exception. But in general, we don't run on Shabbos. However, the Shulchan Aruch says... There's an exception to the rule. When are you allowed to run on Shabbos? An sh- oh, for sure, for an emergency. But the shul. And even a non-emergency, you want to get your exercise and you want to get some endorphins, so run to shul. And uh, no problem. Or running to a mitzvah, maybe. But I, I used to, I remember when I was in high school, I would go home to chill with my parents a little and then I would run back for like Shalashidis and shul and I got some good running in. So I, was, I was happy. I, I like that exception. Okay, so you're allowed to run on Shabbos, and running in general um, to the to shul is a nice thing to do. On a related note, this is something that comes up a lot from my life, is walking backwards. Walking backwards at the kotel or in the shul. You've heard of this? So do you have to do that? Is it obligatory holistically to walk the whole way backwards? Like you should, but it's not. No. Right, like most questions, I say you should, but you don't have to. It's like this. Um, technically, you don't have to. It's not, a, it's not a halacha that you have to walk the whole way back. However, it is mentioned in the Ramah that it's a nice thing to walk for almost, again, like six feet. To walk a few steps. Four almost is approximately six to eight feet. To walk a few feet. It doesn't have to be literally. It just means to walk a few, a few feet backwards. 
as an expression that we don't want to want to run away from shul, we're not turning our back to the aron. So this is true in any shul. I'm not sure why people are more machmer about it at the kotel, but it kind of makes sense because kotel is very holy shul. But you definitely don't have to walk the whole way back like this and like knock someone over. <laughs> and you're not even a bad Jew between you and me if you don't do that. It's it's okay. But it's a nice thing to do. It's a, it's an act of respect. It's it's sweet. It's beautiful. And there used to be a prayer that was said. People would say when they were leaving shul. Um, so that's uh, good to know. I have uh, I have two minutes left, right? Mm-hmm. All right. One, I'll use one minute and one more last thing. Halachic, did you know? Matovu. Okay? Why do we say Matovu? It's, it's a nice song, right? But what's the, what's the real idea behind Matovu? Okay. Going to shul. The main idea is the second pasuk. V'ani b'rov chastecha avo v'etecha ashtachavel Hashem b'rov b'yiratecha. That verse, the halacha says, is a wonderful thing to do when you go to shul. To remind me what a chesed, what an act of chesed is that a Kaddish Baruch gives us the opportunity to daven. So the best time to say matovu is when you walk into shul. Okay, not when you wake up in the morning, when you're walking into shul. The whole reason we say matovu is to remind yourself what a chesed it is. Yeah, sounds good? Okay, let me quickly do attendance. Uh, I have it on the Midmo app, so give me one second. Okay. Dina.